When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This week on Into the Archives with the Boom Podcast, uh, as a tribute to to Adrian Beltre and his recent induction into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, Adrian, I got to play with him one year in 2005, one of the one of the best third basemans of all time. He was a no-brainer uh, for me. I talked to Adrian. We've had him on the podcast and it was a foregone conclusion he was going to be a first ballot. It came to fruition uh, this week. So as a tribute, here's Adrian Beltre. Sometimes you just need to enjoy a classic. Join us as we go into the archives. Hey, we going back. And put our ear to the history books with this one. This is Into the Archives. Here's your host, Brett Boom. Hi, Adrian. What's going on, man? Not much, Booney. How are you? I'm doing good, and and I'm excited you came on today uh, for the people out there. Adrian, we were teammates one year, one of my favorite teammates of all time. We only got to play together one year, but uh, I appreciate you coming on. And let's, right out of the gate, Belly, let's go with it. Tell everybody, and you're probably most famous for this. You probably invented this. For for those of you who don't know, when – in Major League Baseball, when we're hitting, mm-hmm. we check our we check our swing. Usually, the protocol <laughs> is the catcher will say to the umpire, "Hey, check that." Goes to the first base umpire. Adrian took it to a new level and invented his own way. He would check his own check swing. <laughs> Tell me all about it. Well, yes, true. Uh, when I first <laughs> come up in the big league, you know, you know, uh, the umpires normally. Dumb tickets in the rookies. And uh, for some reason, I had always a uh, kind of more violent upper body when I checked my swing. So it appeared that I actually swung, but actually my bat never crossed the strike zone or the, you know, so-called, you know, uh, check area. So for, for some reason, they always call those, uh, those uh, check swings on me strikes. So I'm like, and I will go back to the video and I, go, I will check and I see that it wasn't even close. But yet I see my shoulder kind of make it appear like a swung. So I noticed that obviously the first base umpire had better uh, view the, 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 uh, the home play umpire. So I wanted to actually check before he, the home play umpire make the decision to call it. I want to make sure that he checked with the first uh, base umpire so I can actually I get a chance with it. So that's how everything started. So I want to make sure that, you know, I get a fair a fair look for the first base umpire and he would determine me for the I swan or not. So that's how it started. 
So just be, after that, I became a habit. So I just did it all the time. Well, you had a lot of habits. Tell me, tell me about banging your spikes harder than any man I've ever seen bang his spikes to the point where <laughs> us as teammates were worried about you. But I'm like, no, he knows how to do it right that he doesn't break his foot. But if you really <laughs> hit it the right way, I, I mean, it was unbelievable. And you'd, you'd hit your spikes in between pitches, and I would sit there and I'd look at you and go, oh, my goodness. And, and you just smile like, what? That doesn't hurt. You, you did that, and we got to cover the homer on one knee. It's, it's the greatest thing that you did it once, then you did it again, and then all of a sudden, once in a while, you'd hit a homer and fall on your knee. And I know it's not something – because I know you, it's not something you premeditate and go, oh, this is going to be my thing. No. It just happened. It was natural. Take me through that a little bit. Well, yeah, the swing, uh, actually, the, when I used to hit my my spikes, it's because I, I used to get mad when I get the pitch that I want to hit, and I would miss it and follow back. So when I felt some kind of pain, because I was kind of mad because I missed it, so that's how hitting my, my spikes, which is true, I kind of normally hit it in a spot where you feel pain, but it doesn't going to hurt you or break your leg or your foot. Uh, so that was that. And uh, the swinging one need, uh, it became since the minor league. I, I, I had trouble with the breaking ball on the minor league. And uh, I had a, a hitting coach that was trying to teach me how to kind of follow the pitch follow the pitch, especially the breaking ball. So I started kind of following the pitch and, uh, but uh, that, back in the minor league, it was more chasing the slider down away. And I would strike, I would, I was go, I would, I would go down in my knee, but I will, I would strike out with it. So, uh, in the minor league, I hit a couple good balls in one knee, but I didn't do it that often. And, um, you know, little by little, I started kind of doing it more and more and more, but actually I did it. I did it a couple of times in Seattle. Uh, but what kind of blew up more when I went to Boston was when kind of became like people started noticing more. And, uh, you know, it became like, you know, the Adrian Beltre, you know, one knee swing. But, yeah, I always done it to the minor leagues. It's something that I, I, don't, I don't really like doing it because I thought it took power away from me. But I couldn't, I couldn't go away with, with it. I never thought about doing it like I, I never thought about, okay, this pitch I'm going to do it because I didn't want to do it. But it just became, I was following the pitch and I just, I swung. And by the, the next thing I know, I was a one knee, you know, one knee on the floor. So it just, it just kind of happened. It was a habit that I never, I could, I never could t- took it away from me. And it is too, because I mean, you, your, your peers, you know, the, the player, your teammates and, and the opponent, they knew when we'd see that on, you know, on ESPN that night, it's like only Adrian could do that. I, we don't know how you do it, but it's probably how you look at other players when they do something. You go, I don't know how they do that. That That's kind of yeah. was my answer to it. Like, wow, I don't know how he does that, but whatever. That, that was really good right there. You you signed out of uh, Santo Domingo, correct? And you yes, were 15 years old when you you were 15 years old when you signed. Uh, this to yes, me is really I was, fascinating. I was actually, I was actually, uh, I was, I signed in three weeks before I was fourteen. <laughs> That's how more like it. I think, I think you know, this is fascinating to me because you know, I grew up in the United States. We go through a protocol as you know, 
our baseball is we go through high school, then we sign when we're 18 years old, or we go on to college and sign. But, but growing up in the Dominican Republic, signing when you're 15 years old, take me through, what is that like? I mean, for Adrian Beltre being a kid in the Dominican Republic, did you always want to be a baseball player? Is, is that, is that always what you wanted to do? And if not, you know, when, when did you know, no, I want to be a big league ball player. You know, my dad played baseball in Dominican. Obviously, he played. Uh, he didn't play professional, but all my family it was a baseball fanatic, and my, you know, my cousins, my, my, my uncles, everybody played baseball. So it's all I knew. And I was, you know, one very much. So yes, I were I would go to school. I was I was actually a good student, but I never I never had a plan B. I mean, in my mind it was I was going to be a baseball player, and uh, you know, I I actually started playing little league when I was thirteen. Because I used to just play in my backyard with my cousins, but now actually like you know organized baseball team. And when I was 13, was when I finally went to a team and I actually started playing. And uh, and I mean I I, I always always loved it. So I started playing. I thought this is going to be my life. Baseball is going to be my life, and I never looked back. And you know when I started playing uh, little league, I, two years later I was I was signed. So you know I, it it was not it was not second guessing that I was going to be a doctor or a lawyer or anything like that it was just going to be a 100% baseball player and and I do know the Dominican Republic it's you, you guys down there they're so passionate about your baseball uh when you sign in the Dominican Republic professionally how does that how does that change how you're perceived how does it change your how does it change your whole life uh, when, because I know so many young kids grow up in the Dominican Republic and baseball is the, the pinnacle. And when you sign a professional contract, how does that change? How does that change Adrian Beltre? Well, to begin with, I mean, you, you are now a professional where you want it to be in a position to succeed in what you want to do. But not only that, it's, not, it's, it's, a, it's a way out for your family, too. So you can help, you know, uh, economically. So once you sign, like you, you open a door for you to go out there and show what you can do, show what you can do and, you know, have the chance to come to the state and actually just, just keep showing what you can do so you can get to the big leagues. But for like, for, for a guy like me, knowing that that's what I want to do, be a, a major league baseball player and being able to have the chance or being lucky enough to sign a contract when you're 15, and then people give you the chance to see if you can actually show that you can be a, a productive or a regular big league player. I mean, for me, it changed your life because you're doing you're doing what you love, and then you get you get paid good amount of money, and you'll be able to help your whole family because of it. So it's like a dream come true, but pretty much. What is uh, I, I know you you know when when you're 15 years old, you sign and, and there's a uh, I'm sure the Dodgers had a camp in the Dominican Republic. When did you, when did they decide that, all right, Adrian, we're bringing you over to the, to the United States. And I know, I, I think your first professional baseball in the United States was in the Cal league. Is that correct? Yes, correct. And well, you know and what? No, no, what no, 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 well, no, it was not. Well, I started the, the same year in Georgia, Savannah, Georgia. And from there, they moved to Cali, but same year, but I started in Savannah, Georgia. 
Okay. And tell me how that is for a young kid that grew up in the Dominican. Now you're, you're over here playing in the United States. You're playing with, you know, guys that signed out of college and, and older guys. What, what is that like? What's the cultural change for you coming from where you, you grew up to now all of a sudden you're in Southern California playing in high A ball against guys that, you know, just came out of college. It could be 23, 24 year old guys. What's that like for you coming over? What are, what are the challenges for you? It was that was difficult. Not only the uh, the language barrier, the culture, but just the fact that now um, you're coming to completely different climax, which is you you don't know nothing about, and now you have to compete uh, to show what you can do uh, with the guys that are older than you, uh, probably better than you at that time, have an idea what to do, but and and that they feel comfortable around where they're at. For me, it was uncomfortable because I didn't know anybody to begin with. I didn't speak the language and everything was a shock for me, the culture. So yes, I, I actually had a hard time in my first year uh, because I couldn't really uh, accustom to how things were here in the US. And uh, to, to be honest with you, the first year when I was struggling a little bit, I, I thought about just going back home because I felt homesick. Because I never, I was never, I was never away from my family for so long, and I had a mixed emotion about if this really what I really want to be away from my family so long. When I was 16 years old, so yeah, but it was it had my challenges back then, uh, you know. But I, I was, I was actually glad that I talked to a couple of friends and they realized, they made me realize that listen, this is what you wanted, that's what you picked. So, you know, you know, just suck it up and and, and do your job. So. I was able to go to um, to go back and, and and get my head straight and, and actually just uh, learning the language a little bit better, understanding like the culture, and uh, after that I felt more comfortable and uh, you know everything became a little easier. But it was it was a it was a it was a it was a shocker when I get I came to the state uh, my first year. Yeah, because I think you know I worked with Oakland a, a few years in in 2015 and 2016, and I really got to see that side of it. You know, I got to see young kids coming over 16 years old, and I'm thinking, wow, when I was 16, what I would have been like in a in a professional camp. I don't know how well I would have done. So I really gained a lot of respect for for what you guys have to go through coming over at such a young age it's one thing if you're 22 23 an adult that you know you learn the language it would be a lot easier for you but as a kid just coming being away from your family and coming over i mean it's a it's a tough thing and and it's so commendable to get through all that like you said you had thoughts of of i'm just going to go home you know i mean what yeah. that's a natural thought for somebody that young being thrown in the middle of professional baseball in a foreign country. Uh, you don't have your family or friends around you. So, I, you know, I really got to see that side of it when I worked on the minor league side with those guys and really gained an appreciation for it. And, and I, that's why I wanted to talk to you about it because not too many people get to hear that side of the game, you know, for us in the United States, right. yeah. I signed when I was 21 years old, you know, I'm a college guy and I got to the big leagues real quick. You know, my first full season was in double a, so I didn't get to see it at the lower levels and see what those guys go through. So I think it's, uh, it's a pretty cool thing, and, and that's why I'm glad to hear it from somebody that actually lived it. All right, let's move on a little bit. You go to, you have your first real big year, and this is the year before we met, and uh, with the Los Angeles Dodgers, who you kind of grew up right. with. 
and all of a sudden you you signed with the Seattle Mariners and you signed at the time a real lucrative deal, you know, for the, for that time in baseball. And you come to the Seattle Mariners, uh, being that you signed, like you said, since you were 14, being with the L.A. Dodgers, growing up in that organization, feel comfortable, feeling comfortable there. All of a sudden you go to Seattle and end up spending six years there. Tell me a little bit about your Seattle time. We only got to play with each other one year, but you stayed on through, I believe, 2010. Tell me about your time in Seattle, because I know from a team's perspective, it didn't live up to to probably your expectations or where you thought the Mariners were going to go. But how was that time in Seattle for you? Yeah, it was difficult in the beginning. Uh, to be honest with you, it was to me, that was my the worst year of my career. Um, you know, coming of a really good year from uh, L.A., and obviously getting that pretty good contract and going to Seattle, which you, we, you know, you were, you, you guys already had a good team and you guys got Sexton right before me. Um, and, uh, we, we, we supposed to, to win. We were supposed to get into the playoffs. Uh, well, I got there and everything was good. You know, cool to play with each year, which is, you know, something different discussion that you know about it. Um, but, you know, getting there, uh, it was cool. It was nice. The expectation was were high. I felt good about it. You know, boy, the, the fact that to get into a new team and and uh, trying to justify my contract, because at that time it was the biggest contract in Seattle, my nurse history, uh, you know, I did not perform well. I did not perform well. You know, I think I put too much pressure on myself. Uh, the team was not doing good. Uh, you know, then I, I think at the uh, All-Star break, they started trading most of the guys. Uh, and I really not, did not enjoy that first year. I I, I, I thought that I was going to do a lot better than I, than I did. And did not happen. And, uh, you know, I, I I understand that it was part of maybe of the, you know, the pressure that I put myself. myself. Uh, and part of it was the, you know, different league. I was the first time we played in American League. You know, the stadium. I uh, was no bigger than that, that, um, the stadium that I was playing in. So the whole thing, it was just not, it was not a good fit for me at that time. And, uh, I you know I struggled, I struggled mentally, I struggled physically. And I took a full blame for that year because we didn't, we expected to make the playoffs and we, we not, we not came close to it. So yeah, difficult time that year. So you go to Seattle and, and, and I believe 2010, you end up, being a free agent and you sign a one-year deal with Boston. Now, Adrian, at this up to this point in your career, you've always been a real good player, but you sign a one-year deal with Boston. You go off, you have a hell of a year. Then you end up signing with Texas and you hit 300 uh, six times from, from that point on till you retire. And you go from a really good player to a great player. And in the end, to a future Hall of Fame player. Um, that's pretty awesome. So, so, and, and I think people nowadays kind of remember Adrian, you know, I remember Adrian, that young kid hitting 48 homers in LA. And then my buddy that I played with in Seattle, but I think most sports fans and, and guys that, that, that are fans of Adrian Beltre remember you as a Texas guy. And, you know, just that smile that you had on your face, you're always having a good time. You're always having fun with your teammates, and I loved it. You know, I was retired, and I'd see you on TV doing something, and I'd be like, oh, Billy, man, that's so him. But 
but it was really cool. Tell me about the time in Texas and, and, you know, where, where do you consider one day when, when you get inducted into that hall of fame? And I know for sure you're going to, but who's going to, what team's going to be on that plaque? Take your business further with the smart and flexible American express business gold card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. <laughs> Good question. Uh, well, you know, See, yes, I'm I getting it first. I'm I, getting I, it first. <laughs> <laughs> I did, yeah, I did my last year in Seattle, the 09. Uh, yes, I, I last year I hurt my shoulder diving for for ball, so yeah. I didn't. I played only only half a season. So coming out of Seattle, yes, I became a free agent and I you know, have a, maybe three or four teams offer me three years, but uh, the amount of money wasn't probably uh, good enough. So. Um, I told my agent, listen, like, I'd rather just play one year somewhere that I can actually play every day and they can see that I'm healthy and then take my, take my chances. I believe in myself. I completely believe in myself. And that's what we did. We, ended, we took our chances. We went to Boston, had a good year in Boston. And that's how, you know, obviously came uh, Texas and offered me sixth year with a good, good amount of money. So we went to Texas. Uh, but after I played in Boston that I felt like, you know what? I don't have to put so much pressure on myself. Just go out there and have fun, play baseball. It's uh, done all my, all my, all my life. So, um, came to Texas, had a, they just came off of the World Series against the Giants. They lost and they had a really good team. So I'm like, listen, just come here, be one of the guys and have fun. So um, in Texas, it was easier for me just to be myself and play good because we, have, we had a really good team. I don't have to be the guy. And, um, you know, after that, it was, just, it was just fun to play with those guys because we, are, we had a good team. We're winning. And, uh, you know, everything else just, just click. So it, other than that, too, it's really a good ball practice to hit. I, I had fun there. It was, it was a good place to hit. It was always warm. Because I like the the heat. I'm coming from Dominican, from a tropical island. I like the heat, so I just felt comfortable over there. And I just, you know, I, I end up having, uh, you know, my my best years in Texas because I have more experience. I feel comfortable where I was. And I, I didn't feel to put that much pressure on myself to be able to, you know, to just to try to put the team on my, on my back. So, yes, it was fun. That was the most fun I ever had playing baseball. Uh but I, uh, you last question about the hat, what, um, and then, uh, what kind of, uh, what team is going to be in the plaque? I always tell, uh, my friends and people that ask the same question. I don't like to get ahead of myself. Uh, I, it's not guaranteed I'm going to get that call. So until that happens, then I'm a decision after that happened to see what, which plaque is going to have, uh, or, or what name is going to be on that plaque. No, and I, and I completely agree. You never want to get ahead of yourselves, but but just from an outsider and and uh, you know a teammate of yours and a peer of yours, you know you, you you end up your career and 
with over 3,000 hits. I believe it's the most hits ever by a third baseman. I think you have the most RBIs ever by a third baseman. I think you scored more runs than any third baseman ever. The only one you didn't get is the homers, and I think Schmitty's got you there. But, uh, yeah. yeah, no, I, I appreciate it, and I wouldn't expect you to say anything but. You know, you're in when you're yeah. in. But but all the writings on the wall. And let me just all right. I'll toot your horn, and you you just play the humble card. I like that. But in you know you know what I you know what I think says a lot about you. And and this is just friend to friend. Is there's not too many people that finish their career and right away, especially when you haven't played your whole career with a team. You know if if you're if you're Tony Gwynn and you play your entire career with San Diego Padres. That's one thing. But in 2019, they retired your number. And that's, you know, I would see one day maybe they retire your number. But to do it so quickly, I think uh, that says a lot about you. and, And that says a lot about the career you had. And I think it says a lot about how the Texas Rangers felt about you. When you got that call and said, we're going to retire your number, how what was going through your mind? And how was that? Yeah, it was, it was kind of crazy because I was actually in London with my wife. And uh, I got the call. My agent called me and said, uh, you know, the owner, Mr. Davis, the owner from uh, the Texas range is going to call you in about 20 minutes. And I go, what? Like, for what? And he goes, I don't know. And, and I go, okay. So about 15 minutes passed by, then he called me. And I answered the phone and I said, oh, Mr. Davis, how are you? And oh, yeah. And so he talked for a little bit and then he said, listen, like, I hope it's okay with you, but like, we don't want to wait and we would love to retire your number next season. And I was kind of shocked because like, I, I, first of all, super humble. So that be happened to me. Uh, and an honor. But I did not have, I didn't even expect it to happen, but not even that quick. And in my mind, I'm thinking like, because obviously they offered me a contract before the year before. But when I had time in November, they actually wanted me to go back and play another year. And I say, no, I'm just good enough. So I'm like, oh, that's weird. You know, they call me so quick. I, I initially thought that maybe they don't want me to come back and play with somebody else or whatever. You know, because it was super quick. But they explained it. They said, you know what? It's because... Uh, we want to do it anyway, but uh, since we're going to have a new stadium, we wanted to retire your number, the stadium you put all this number in. So, and I said, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, I'll be honored to do that. So that was the, that was the explanation behind this because they wanted to happen at the stadium that I played in because they, haven't, they will have a new stadium uh, the next year. So that's how it happened. Yeah. And it's, it's once again, and you know, I've already hit on that, but it, it's a pretty awesome thing. You know, I've seen a lot of, I've played with a lot of great players and, and I've seen a lot of really cool stuff, but, but something like that, it, once again, it's just a tribute to you and, and what you meant to that organization. I think it's pretty awesome. All right. You and Bartolo Cologne, you were the last two, uh, to, pl- to be still playing in the nineties. That uh, I'm sorry, to be still pl- the last players that played in the '90s that were still playing when you decided to retire. I, I need a uh, because Bartolo. He's you know I played against Bartolo for a lot of years. 
yeah. you know, I, I wasn't buddies with Bartolo. I knew him. I'd, I'd see him in passing, say, what's up? You know, he's, he's kind of taken on a, a different like caricature. I mean, he's Bartolo, you know, the, yeah. Give me, give me one little quick story about Bartolo. Oh man. What can I tell you about Bartolo? He's, he's a funny guy. Guy doesn't take anything serious. Um, he's like, he has a weird way of being ready for the games, which I mean, it's, 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 it's weird the way he kind of stretches. Um, but he's a guy that he doesn't really like get bothered by anything. He's there pitching. He doesn't care what people think. He doesn't care how he looks. I mean, he, the first, <laughs> I mean, I think the last seven, the last seven years, he, he looked like he was pounding pounds, but he's still pitching, throwing 90 with a sinker and doing, get the job done. You know, but he's just the kind of guy that mellow. He doesn't really care about anything. He just, he's happy. He's, he still wants to pitch. He's like 50 already. He's, um, it's a, but, he's my age. He still wants to pitch. He's pulling yeah, a Jamie Moyer. Pitch. Yeah, he want to. Yeah, I want to pull a Jamie Moyer. That's right. But you know, he's a, the guy who competes. He's there. He competes. He almost never get hurt. You know, he, 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 Martolo is just a different guy. And and I'll tell you, when I came up, you know, early in my career in the early '90s, Martolo pitched for Cleveland, and he was this young phenom that you know starting pitcher at the time was a big deal because he could get it up he could run it up there 97 98 but it seemed yeah. like early in my career you know us when we're coming up and we're young there's not a fastball we don't like and when you're young it's easy you don't gotta you don't have to cheat a little bit get it ready early it's just oh give me that fastball and i remember facing bartolo back then thinking wow i i don't mind you know 2031 he would crank it up but as he got older as he matured and i think some of his greatest years he learned to subtract instead of 3120 all right i'm gonna throw 98 he would take a little bit off and throw. I'm going to throw 87 here and just get it off your barrel. So I think he's the one one guy I use uh, about making adjustments throughout his career as a power pitcher. He turned into not a finesse pitcher, but a pitcher pitcher. He was pitching. He went from throwing to pitching. Uh, pinpoint accurate. He could hit that outside corner with that two seamer. And he was one of those right. few guys that could actually go five, six innings throwing nothing but a two seamer. Cause he located so well. And I was always fascinated right. with him. You know, he, he was one of the few guys that made that adjustment. It was, you know, pretty cool thing to watch. I really appreciate you coming on. And, uh, this was really cool. And I, and I think everybody out there in the boom podcast really like, uh, having you on Adrian Beltre is a favorite. He's still, you're, you're, you retired soon enough where everybody's still, Oh, Adrian Belt. They, they were excited when you were coming on. And I, I just can't appreciate it enough that you did. Uh, you're two, you're two years away. You know, we all know, I, I know you're going to stay humble, but in a couple years, uh, you're going to be going off to Cooperstown and what an unbelievable career you had. I'm proud of you. I'm proud to, to call you a friend. I appreciate you coming on. What we do in this final segment is, uh, Dan comes back into the, in, into the podcast and, and he asks a couple questions that the fans have. So Dano, come back in. Adrian, how are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. All right. The question I have for you are actually pretty easy. Uh, first question. 
This year, the L.A. Dodgers won a World Series. You being uh, a part of that franchise for so long, what did that that, uh, do for you to see that happen? It was nice because obviously I live in L.A. So, you know, I I spent, what, about almost 10 years in that organization, uh, the minor league and the big league. So uh, I obviously have an appreciation for that organization. And not only that, I mean, they haven't won, they haven't won in 32 years. And the manager that they that they have is a good friend of mine. It's like Booney is. Um, uh, Dave Roberts, we played together a couple of years. And I was happy to see him, you know, bringing that back to, to L.A. I mean, the whole city, even though we have the, you know, the COVID-19, but the whole city went crazy. And uh, I think they really deserved it already. A lot of times, I would say just about every episode that we do, Brett and I, we dive into our guests. We want to hear stories that you have. Give me a Brett Boone story. Oh, come on. <laughs> Give me a good Brett Boone story. Give us. I know Brett just from doing this podcast. Uh, for one of these, for once, I want to hear a good Brett Boone story. Give me one. Oh, man. Should we keep it a PG or no? <laughs> Whatever you yeah, want to go, hey, buddy. Adrian, I, I can always cut it out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Ah, there's so many Boone stories. But the thing is with Boone is that Boone is one of the most comfortable or, uh, let's say this, uh, the guy who believes in himself more than anybody. And he would tell you like it is. You know, if he's a guy that is acting like he's this and that, and Boone tell you, listen, kid, you, know, you, haven't, done, you haven't done squat. Why don't you do this, do that, do that, and he he owns it, right? Um, but other than that, like one of the things that I wasn't even there. One story that I heard about Boone. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Uh, here we go. Give it to me. You know what? I, I I I can't say that. I can I I I can. I was gonna say it, but I can't. I don't, I don't know if it's gonna be clean or not. You can give me a PG so me, one. It's all right. You don't. Have, it doesn't have to be. You don't have to light the guy up. But just something something to give the uh, audience a little little peek behind the curtain. Uh, no, I'm going to give you another one. Let me see. Booney. Well, to begin with, Booney's the type of guy that, you know, he's a good friend. He's the guy that was, when I, when I came to Seattle, he was probably the best feeder we had. Um, everybody loves him. But he, he, he never, he never, never care about, like, wearing shoes. <laughs> so even though we were supposed to wear, like, you know, suit and then, be do a sport code on the plane and on the trip, boom, we show up with like slippers. <laughs> Classy. 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 It's slippers and nobody would tell nothing because I mean, he, he, he can pull it off. He pulled it off. Well, when you're wearing suit with shoes, red shoes, and you go boom with, you know, slacks and the sport coat with slippers. <laughs> well, when you're putting up all star numbers, you get to wear slippers on the team plane, I guess. <laughs> Last question for you, just a quick one. You played in some pretty big markets. What was the most difficult market to play in, especially being out of LA and Boston, two of the big markets that are always trying to get that next chip? Which one was did you feel the most pressure to be at? Uh, LA, 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 because I was young and the team that they assembled, uh, they wanted to win, wanted to win, and uh, and I was young back then, and I did not really perform the first half like I should. And I, the fans let me let me have it. 
they let me have it. And uh, yeah, I mean, for 2000, from 2003, I was in a trade block every year. So I always had that pressure of the big market and the pressure of being young and spendable. That was definitely LA. Wow. Adrian, do you have a Twitter handle? I've been spending this entire podcast trying to find out if you have a Twitter. I'm not sure which one is you. Do you have uh, any kind of social media in case people want to find you, follow you, and uh, hear what kind of stuff you got going on with you? I don't have a Twitter. I'm not big on social media. I have a, I have an um, Instagram account, but it's private. Gotcha. I, and I don't really post, I don't really post a lot. Well, again, we want to go ahead and congratulate you ahead of times when you do uh, get in trying to Cooperstown. We want to congratulate you for that one. Hopefully, we'll talk to you before and after all that goes down. But we want to thank you first and foremost, and most of all, for jumping on the Brett Boone podcast. Brett Boone, you can find on Twitter at the Boone Twenty Nine. And again, we want to thank everybody for checking us out, continuing to help us keep this podcast grown we're having one great guest after the other this one included is definitely going to go down as one of our better ones and again please subscribe comment review and most of all share with all your baseball loving friends you want to hear the stories that you'll never hear anywhere else this is where you'll find it for the former all-star silver slugger as well as golden glover this has been the Brett Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy, and we'll catch you guys next time. See you later. 2400 Sports is an Odyssey company. 